Hello, I'm Chris Plum, head coach and CEO of Carmel Swim Club. This is the Off the Deck podcast. The Off the Deck podcast is sponsored by Carmel Swim Academy. We're very excited to bring the Carmel Swim Academy to the community of Carmel, where we will introduce swimming to hopefully a lot more younger people in the community. And, and we know that swim lessons save lives. Um, and we look forward to being able to bring that to our entire community and to make a difference through the swim lessons. It, um, it can reduce, reduce the risk of drowning by 88%. We're also sponsored by the GAIN Network and GAIN Swimming. You can sign up for our Carmel Clinic coming up in September uh, in Carmel, Indiana. We are going to do that in person. And you can look that up at www.thegainnetwork.com slash gain swimming. Gain swimming is the gold standard for dryland training. So our guest today is uh, Todd Adams. Todd Adams is the president and CEO of the Pension Fund for the Christian Church. He is a certified governance trainer, and he is the father of a fantastic swimmer in person that we had come through Carmel, Claire Adams. Uh, I think he is one of the people that helped transform kind of how we thought about our governance model at the Carmel Swim Club. And I think he's probably the main reason I am now head coach slash CEO of the Carmel Swim Club. Uh, and it was, I think, a big investment that we made at the time. So, Todd, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm well, thanks, Chris. Good to be with you. Yeah, so... Um, why don't we start back at the beginning before you came? And obviously we were here for swim lessons and to teach people the importance of that. So can you talk about your first experience maybe with Claire and getting her in the water and then how you, how you came to Carmel? Well, when we moved to Indiana from Houston, um, we really focused on the kids' education and what was the best school district, did a lot of research on the elementary schools, moving a fourth grader and a first grader and look for ways to get the kids socialized. Um, in Houston, Claire was a little summer league swimmer because it's so hot that everybody goes to the pool in the summer. And if you want to go to your neighborhood pool, you have to be on the swim team because they kind of take over the pools in the summer, especially in the evenings. And she also was doing ballet. And since swim was going to be two, maybe three days a week, we told her she needed to choose between swim or ballet that she couldn't really do both time-wise. And uh, she said, well, I'll go to the swim tryouts or the week before the ballet tryouts. And if I make a certain group and make the team, then um, I'll become a swimmer. And if not, I'll go do the ballet tryouts and, and we'll do ballet. And she came out beaming because she had made what was then the dolphin group, uh, which meant she was, I think, proficient in the four strokes um, and could swim the length of the pool utilizing each of the strokes. And so that's really uh, where things got started. We knew nothing about USA Swimming, nothing about Carmel Swim Club, nothing about uh, Carmel High School girls swimming. Um, just thought we were joining a little local community you know, swim club like we had been a part of in Houston. And since it was so cold in Indiana, since it was like 70 degrees in September, um, we thought, oh, swimming's an indoor sport in Indiana because you need something to do here in the winter. Well, I would say we're so glad that that swimming tryout was before the ballet tryout. Otherwise, it could have been a different story, right? But your daughter is probably way too tall for ballet. Um, yeah, so you didn't know what you're getting into. Maybe you wouldn't have gotten into it. I don't know. But uh, so she joined swimming. She's in the dolphin group. Uh, what was your first experience like with swimming? And what advice maybe you have to that parent out there who's just started to get into, into the sport? 
Great question. I mean, first getting started was the nervousness, getting over the nerves of dropping off your fourth grader at this massive high school facility and is everything going to be okay? And, um, and, and you slowly kind of work your way into the process. Um, and so it goes from dropping off out on the circle to dropping them off at the natatorium to, you know, with Claire it was then dropping her off at the airport to fly to Singapore. And so um, some, some advice that I wish probably I had been given as a parent and maybe some advice that I shared, I think with uh, Joe and Janice Pash as Kelly was taking off was really trust the process. They're going to get, you, you move in increments uh, with your kids. And it's actually words that Missy Franklin's parents shared with us at the World Trials here in Indy and just said, you get more comfortable with every step. So sending them on a travel trip, uh, not being afraid of that and having them travel with the team, even if you're gonna be there, is about preparing them for swimming at a meet out of state, is about preparing them for going to the Olympic training centers of about, that's about preparing them then to go on to a junior or a national meet, or maybe even a meet where you can't go as a parent because there's only so much time to you know, take away from work and, and you know so many resources and a family um, and so you, you learn really to trust the process. And I know that's words that you use with the swimmers uh, when they start out early on, but it's words that I think as a parent, um, I wish some other parent had come to us from day one and said, hey, trust the process. We've got experienced coaches. We've got a proven model here. They know what they're doing. Um, not that I feel like we were ever parents that really questioned or challenged training methods because I know nothing about swimming beyond jumping off a boat dock uh, as a kid in the lake. So um, I had no ability to say that was a great swim or that was a bad wall or anything along those lines or, and really didn't know Claire's times most of the time. Um, so trusting the process as a parent is believing that your coaches um, understand the sport. They understand the training methodology. Uh, they understand what the, your child needs at each level of development. And a, a couple of points um, along the way that I remember specifically, um, the first one was uh, with Ian uh, Murray saying to us, well, Claire's gonna move into this group and her practice times now are gonna be like 7.30 to nine o'clock. And I was like, but Ian, her bedtime's seven o'clock. Uh, she can't come to practice at 7.30, what's the early option? And he's like, her practice times are going to be seven to nine, you know, or seven thirty to nine, and, and so kind of working through that. But really, the big moment when I think back was uh, when Claire was in the eighth grade. Um, thought you guys were crazy. We were in Oxford, Ohio, at the sectional meet, and I think it was the eight hundred free relay that you and Ian decided to put her on with some of the senior girls. And I think there might have been one, one or two of the girls that were like freshmen in college that were swimming on the relay, and. We kind of, Kim and I kind of talked each other off the ledge in the hotel room about how crazy we thought you guys were. And this was unfair pressure to put on Claire and kind of had to come to terms and say, you know, they know what they're doing. So it's, it's proven out well. Um, and so I would say for, you know, parents starting out, trust the process, trust these coaches. Uh, you know, they've got a proven track record um, and they've developed multiple athletes, um, you know, over the years. And, um, and and just trust the steps that they're taking your child through, um, you know, with helping your child to achieve their best level of performance, regardless of what level that turns out to be. Yeah, I think, I think that's great advice. Um, I, you know, I think the one thing that's very unique about swimming in comparison to other sports is, you know, in the dad's club who do an amazing job here in Carmel, but most of them are volunteers. You're a volunteer coach. 
and you know you're working your other job and then you happen to come in and and probably teach some great stuff out of out of you know the goodness of your heart and willing to give back but in swimming it is a professional development and it's a professional sport and obviously we take it seriously so you know that kind of led into you giving back in your service. I think you're incredibly service minded. You've always been willing to help the club in so many ways. I mean, I remember when we were in Nashville, you got us uh, office space between prelims and finals one time, uh, just your willingness to go above and beyond. And that helped create um, the model when we first started. So maybe take us back to, you know, you're on the board. We, you and I sit down, we talk and you're like, okay, I'll, let's do this. Let's, let's create this, uh, this governance model. So, you know, talk us through that process and then, you know, what were you thinking? Maybe like, am I really going to help this guy? Or like, what were your, what were your thoughts back then? <laughs> well, I, I mean, so kind of a shout out to some uh, long-term families in the club too. I can remember watching Bob Flaherty speak at our first uh, swim banquet when uh, it was, small enough to fit into the Ritz Charles before having to go to the bigger facility. And uh, folks like Ron and Sue Vineyard, who really recruited us as a family to, to get involved with the club and, uh, and to get back to the club beyond just kind of the, um, I think we called it volunteer requirements then, and now I think it's parent engagement hours. Um, so, cause it's not really, you're not really volunteering when you're signing a contract saying you're gonna do so much work, but really seeing, you know, uh, that parent engagement expectation as the floor uh, beneath which you won't fall rather than a ceiling to which you will rise. And um, and I think I shared those words at the last uh, banquet Claire senior year, just encouraging all parents to, you know, to bring the skills that you have and focus on the parent aspect of the club so the coaches can focus on the athlete aspect of the club. Uh, but that conversation we had um, at McAllister's that day, we were doing your performance evaluation. And so I don't want to put too much credit on myself because you're the one who spoke up and had the courage, you know, as the head coach to say, um, I really appreciate the feedback from the board. And this is, I, I just need to be honest and say that um, you're my fifth president and this is my fifth form of a performance evaluation. And how do we get to something that is more standardized? How do we get to a place where um, every time we have a new treasurer, our staff isn't expected to produce the financials in a different way? How do we get to a place where our board meetings are focused more on the long-term planning for the board rather than where the t-shirts are gonna be um, sold on the, on the concourse at, the, um, you know, at, at our big meets? And, and so really it was, a conversation you didn't have the language but what you were asking for was how do we move the board from managing the day-to-day -day operations of the club and meeting so frequently to a board that's really laser focused on establishing the policies and procedures within which the staff then is empowered and held accountable and rewarded for achieving those goals and metrics and so that really launched into the conversation then Kristen Sherman was a big player in that as somebody who had professional board expertise um, and we were able to you know, kind of have this conversation around what does it mean to be a governance board? How is that different than a management board? I remember we used board sources, um, uh, 10 roles and responsibilities and asked everybody on the board to read that and did some work along the way. Uh, but the other piece I think that came alongside that was not only um, tapping into the expertise of people who had professional board experience or nonprofit governance experience on the board, but also your willingness to say, um, not only do I have a coach when it comes to strength training and dry land and seek counsel of my peers on matters related to the sport, 
I'd like to have a coach that's going to help me on the professional development side. And so that acknowledgement that coaches also need coaches um, and that that's not just about the sport, that's about the personal development. And I think your, if I remember right, your comment was, I'm a swim coach with a biology degree. What do I know about being a CEO of an organization? And so that's where we connected you with Phil Berge. And, and I think that's been a really great relationship that you all have maintained over the years. And um, so really it was, it was your willingness to say our current model doesn't work. And it was three or four members of the board and our willingness to say there is a model that does work. And maybe it's time for us to move from a mom and pop shop and a small club to truly being this you know, community club with a national presence and refocusing the work of the board, getting a board agenda, getting a board that only has to meet three or four times a year, um, getting the board focused on the long-term planning, the strategic thinking, the generative thinking, and out of the day-to-day -day operations of the club. And I think that, was the, that conversation was the pivotal point and then strong voices in the organization stepping up and, and agreeing that, yes, this is the direction we need to go. Yeah, Todd, I, it's wonderful advice. And I remember going back to that time thinking it was incredibly frustrating <laughs> to continually receive different feedback. So my advice to all the coaches out there is, look, you've got to take you've got to treat this like a business and you've got to run it like a business. I mean, you certainly have to have the soft touch with athletes and coach them, but you have to use a different part of your brain and different part of your thinking to develop professionally. And I know from, a, from my point of view, especially in Carmel, right, you're dealing with professionals each and every day. This is what they do for a living. And if you expect to have the respect, expect to have the respect of your people, you need to follow and, and live up to that same, degree of standard they they hold themselves to uh, and that was a, a, certainly a challenge for me but you, you grow into it and your advice on the coaching too a lot of people say wait you have a coach so yeah I have a coach because I need someone to talk to too just as the athletes do and I think every like the best CEOs in the world have a coach too so uh, Phil and your advice on that meaning Phil we still talk once a month today and he helps me tremendously help you know because he helps me see our my blind spot so well i'm meeting with my executive coach tomorrow so <laughs> yeah. I, want to. I mean every everybody who's successful has somebody else who's helping them look in and push them on their growing edges and help them see what they can't see within themselves right and we all have blind spots so you know if you know i kind of went off a little piece there about that but let's say you're a coach listening um and you're thinking about you know you want to take your club to the next step what advice would you pass on to them because who would they would you recommend they talk to someone in their uh club or would you go outside or how would you work that today do you think um i would say definitely find a conversation partner um, so who is that kind of coach in the room or that advocate uh, in the room for shifting the model? Um, I think the, the board I came into um, three years or two years before that conversation, I guess it would have been three years because it was the end of my first year as president, um, would not have had the capacity to have that conversation. Um, the dynamics were um, still focused on, on the management um, but find that, find that, that partner voice that people will hear. If you, if you don't have it within the club, then find that voice outside the club. There's a big network of 
certified governance trainers that focus on this, that help nonprofits make this kind of transition. Uh, but you're going to have to get your buy-in from your two or three key members. You're going to have to recognize um, you don't just get a title of CEO and all of a sudden start functioning like a CEO. So chart out the growth opportunities for the board, bring in that outside voice that can help the board facilitate that conversation, and then figure out your own growth in it. I think the mistake we make is we say, well, here's a model. We're just going to slap the model on top of us, and we're not going to do the groundwork to live into the model, and we're not gonna help everybody who's participating in the model understand their roles. Um, I can remember, uh, and this is again, a shout out to Kristen Sherman, um, who was really instrumental in this process. Um, her willingness to say in a board meeting as we were trying to shift from the governance model and help, help board members understand you have a, a hat you wear as a governor, you have a hat you wear as a, as a parent, uh, you know, as an ambassador for the organization, and you have a hat you wear as a volunteer doing your parent engagement um, and calling people out on the board meeting and saying, well, that's a really great, you know, parent volunteer engagement comment. But we need to think from this perspective, which is the governance hat and really, you know, helping um, through that process of shifting the behavior of a board. It wasn't that. Uh, people were um, ill-intended. It's just trying to shift the behavior. It doesn't happen overnight. And so it took that process of really working intentionally for the next two years while I stayed on as president and then having somebody like Kristen who could follow me, who could really help us rewrite the scripts and rewrite the memory. Because otherwise, if you don't have that consistent handoff, you just slide back to what you're doing because that's you know muscle memory, right? And that's what we know. So you know, having two years of working towards it and then having Kristen who was uh, well steeped in it and, and sold out for it, come in and follow up for several years as the president, I think really helped us cement it and take it to the next level. Yeah. My advice to, to all the coaches out there, look, you have to own this. You know, everyone right. as a coach, you hear about all oh, the parents, this, the parents that they just want to be led and they want to be helped and they, and they want to do what's right, but you have to have the leadership mindset and you've got to work work hard at it and demonstrate your own leadership and business expertise and, and vision. Really. I think the best thing I would tell people is look, look forward, create a vision for people to aspire to. Um, let's kind of switch gears here. Um, you have two wonderful children, Jackson and Claire. Claire was a unbelievable swimmer um, at Carmel and at the university of Texas. And you had Jackson who's a, uh, a great baseball player in his own right. And he played at Carmel and he's currently a Butler. Uh, so you have a, a unique experience to have great athletes, two different sports, one male, one female, you know, what do you think some of the differences and similarities were between them and growing up and, uh, and, you know, becoming these wonderful people and athletes? Well, I mean, the thing I always joke about is, um, Athletic genes are clearly recessive traits because their mom and I were not athletic at all. Um, I ran cross country because it required no hand-eye coordination or parental involvement. And I think their mom played in one inning of one softball game. And um, that was the extent of our athletic career. So uh, the fact that we have two D1 athletes is, is pretty remarkable. Um, but when I think about similarities, um, I think we always believe that uh, it takes a village to raise your kids and to raise them in a healthy fashion. And that um, we can look back on our own lives. And for us, it was our youth pastors growing up that were great influences on us and kind of that third parent 
Um, and so not being afraid for our kids to find that third or fourth parent who is mentor, confidant, believes in them, um, and, you know, and it's going to be a part of their life forever. Um, and so we're fortunate, I think, with both the kids that we found that, and that helped to develop them. For Jackson, it was, you know, a baseball coach that was a, a volunteer parent that played college baseball and, um, and also a hitting coach that he latched on to in seventh grade and, and still checks in with Ryan and Kurt today to say, you know, here's what's going on in life. Here's where I'm frustrated at the plate or with the coaching staff. And, and so they are, you know, dad three and four. And that's, that's a gift. That's not threat. That's a gift. And for Claire and Ian and you and, you know, at major life points uh, have, have been there to celebrate great swims and frustrating swims and untimely broken hands and, you know, all the parts and pieces that, uh, that go with life. And when you have those, um, those outside influences on your kids that are constant and consistent and healthy, it just makes them better. And it teaches them the coping skills that they need to be able to deal with life. No one's life is going to be 100% smooth and golden their entire life. Um, and so learning to deal with adversity, learning to you know, trust other people, and it kind of comes down to that saying, I forget which college softball coach it was, but um, uncoachable kids become unemployable adults. And having gone through the experience of, you know, two athletes um, going through programs, I look for that in hiring. Um, so I would also, you know, just a shout out to all the athletes out there, put it on your resume. Because anybody who knows the time management skills that you've developed and the commitment and dedication to rise to that level in a sport, to be able to play either at a large high school or beyond high school, um, that says something to them as an employer. Some of the differences, I mean, I would say the, the gift of swimming is that a time is a time. Um, it's not about what another parent or what happened in the last game. A time is a time. To get into a meet, there's a minimum time standard. To be on a relay, there's a minimum time standard. Coaches always make the right call as to, you know, the right mix. Um, no. Does anybody make the right call 100% of the time in their life? No. But a time is a time. And so it's really hard to argue uh, with times um, and training is training and kids get out of practice what they put into it and the training opportunities are there. And so if your kids skip on a bunch of training, don't be mad at the kid who's coming to all the practices and having success in the pool. Um, with baseball, it's a little more subjective in terms of, you know, uh, somebody can have a, a, a really great season. Um, and you know, or that you see them at the right moment and you see them at the game that they were three for four and hit a couple of home runs and, you know, had some really great at bats or made the amazing play in the field, but you didn't see the other four innings of the game where, or the game before the doubleheader where they were really struggling at the plate or made a lot of mistakes. There's a lot of subjectivity there. Um, and so if, if, if you struggle with that as a parent, I would say, put your kid in swimming, uh, because times are bad. Um, and, and stick with it. I mean, I can remember some really tearful nights and moments when, you know, Claire was first starting out uh, really through kind of November of eighth grade when her friends would get moved up and she was the slow kid trying to figure out this rapidly growing body and um, coming home and, you know, upset and distressed and I'm, I'm not a good swimmer and I, you know, I, you know, I can't do this and, you know, and then she'd catch them and then they'd get moved up again. But times were times. And, and there were a reason kids were getting moved up. And then there was a reason she finally caught up and kind of grew into her body. So 
again, I think anytime you've got your kids involved in anything where there's an outside influence on them, that's a positive influence. That's a gift you can give your kids. Um, and anytime they can deal with adversity and have a network around them that um, isn't just mom and dad, um, that's going to help them later on in life. That's great advice, Todd. And, and you certainly have lived into it. And I know you're still cheering on Jackson at Butler and I, he's close to you. So you get to watch his games. Um, and you got to watch Claire, I think, to me, do some of the most amazing things in the water. And I just want to tell a quick story here. I think Claire was a freshman, high school state. And Claire was never known for her great walls. Uh, and that's something she worked on over time. Uh, but Claire, freshman year, 200 free, flips at the 150 and like misses the wall. The air in the whole natatorium just <laughs> goes out, but falls behind, but then fights back to win. And I like, you just knew then you had a winner. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if you can coach that or teach that or parent that. Where do you think that came from from her? Because like you talked about this kind of, you know, girl is too, you know, maybe her body was a little not matched yet, but she certainly figured it out in the next year. You know, um, it, I just remember in that moment, because she was swimming the race exactly as um, you and Ian had told her to race. There was, and I forget the young lady's name, but she was kind of known as the rabbit in the event. And you all told her, stay on her hip, stay on her hip, stay on her hip, get to the, you know, the hundred flip. I want you to pass her about halfway in the pool. And she passed her up and, and took the lead and then just brushed the wall and just floated to the top. Yeah. Um, and, you know, how she pulled that out, um, you know, I, I don't know, but, uh, maybe it's all those times you all had them start in the middle of the pool, basically. Right. right so right. I think you got to credit training. I think you've got to credit, um, you know, some fire, um, in the belly there to, to kick it in and, uh, to, you know, catch back up and pass the field again. And, and again, an opportunity to face adversity and learn something from it. Right. You're not going to, everything's not going to go perfect every time. So if, if, you know, Carmel Swim Club talks about teaching excellence for um, excellence through swimming for life, right? So, mission of the club for is the for life piece, and it's the excellence piece. And excellence is dealing with adversity and learning how to overcome it, and obstacles being in your way, and learning how to face those challenges. And uh, you know, so I, I just dumb luck, great coaching, good training, the crowd going crazy as a result. Um, who knows at the 175, but whatever it was, um, uh, she pulled it out. Yeah. So if you're to, you know, we're going to balance this out and this is not an easy topic to talk about, but I think it's, we have to, you, you mentioned it earlier. So Claire in 2015 wins nationals, uh, breaks the world junior record in the hundred backstroke, great turns. And those of, you know, 100 back, you know, I remember, I still remember that great turn. Because that was like a point of like, oh, look how far she's come. To we are so excited for her. To, she's the second or third seed going into trials. We go to the Olympic Training Center. And I don't know how you found out. You got a call or, or you know, a text or something. And Claire um, just breaks her hand warming up on a normal recovery day. I mean, just heartbroken. Uh, but... I don't know. I mean, how did she's clearly, I think took and took some time to figure it out, but probably stronger for it. I mean, what was that? Pers what was your perspective on it? And, um, 
how have you kind of thought about it today? So I was actually out at a staff retreat. I had just uh, changed in the position that I'm in now. We were having our first staff retreat. So I'm out at Turkey Run where I'm having to basically lean against a tree and you know, kind of stick my arm in the air to get a cell phone signal. And I get a, a you know, kind of this broken message from the kid's mom uh, that basically said, uh, Claire broke her hand. She's having surgery. I'm on my way to the airport. I need a ticket when I get there. So that was that was the extent of the information that I had, um, and you know, so it, it's that um, kind of that duality of being a parent, right? So so heartbroken for your kid who basically gave up her life for this moment, um, her life to that point for this moment, um, things that normal high school students would have been experiencing that she passed on to focus on her training to focus on her nutrition, to make sure she was keeping her grades intact, to check all of the, the boxes that, you know, everybody had kind of laid out in front of her and, and to deal with the pressure of having won those two titles and broken the record and swimming in Singapore and then coming back and trying to, you know, compete and figure out how do you compete at that same level every time. And, and so you're heartbroken for your kid uh, in the moment. Um, and then yet you realize uh, what a fierce young woman you've raised. She yeah. took over the situation. She told us she had surgery scheduled. She made the decision that she was going to have the plate and six pins put in. I think Rowdy Gaines said she had 20 pins in her hand, but it was only six pins in her hand while she was swimming. Um, she said, I haven't put all this effort in to give up now. And so while you're heartbroken for your child, you're so proud of this, this fierce young woman that's emerging, that's taking control of, the situation and not being overwhelmed by adversity and and you know coping with great disappointment and you know um, it's it's do I wish it was different absolutely do I wish she had the opportunity um, to have you know swam at her best in that trial to see what might have been um, absolutely do I think she'll always feel like there was something left unfinished in the pool absolutely I mean you can also say look at COVID and NCAAs and being I think she was um, third in the in the hundred back this year going into her senior year at Texas and COVID shuts down the you know the championship meet right you know the week before the the week they're supposed to leave and yet another moment of heartbreak and, and adversity and yet she's going to go into a second grade classroom with kids that deal with heartbreak and adversity every day that are some of the most economically disadvantaged kids in, in the greater Denver area. And that's her passion. And so she's going to have a set of skills now and experiences to draw on that'll make her a better teacher, a better partner, a better person. Um, and, and a fierceness to know that you've got to fight through those moments rather than, than give in. And I know she she certainly fought uh, so hard at Texas to become, I mean, I don't know how many had time All-American, uh, but I think she's at peace with it now. But it definitely took some time for her to get there. But um, I know you, you kind of look at the points in your life where maybe it didn't work out, but somehow it, it does work out in the end. Like you go, well, okay, now I see why that happened in my life. Now I understand it may, may take some time. Uh, and she has tremendous perspective to give back. I know she's gotten on Zoom calls with our team and shared that perspective. And she just provided 
uh, input. And um, I, I know that she would be the teacher and, and she helped. Uh, she was kind of mentored by my wife and I know they right. have a special relationship and uh, she gave, she was a Dr. Pepper, like athlete of the year and gave money to uh, my wife's school. So uh, just a really cool moment, like full circle moment for our family when she did that. And my wife was like in tears when Claire did that. So, um, yeah, just uh, just fantastic. So um, I don't know, Todd, what uh, what haven't we covered here today in terms of swimming and parenting? Anything uh, we haven't covered today? Oh, gosh, not that I can think of. I just think it's it, I think it's so great to see where Carmel is today. Uh, with Jake and Drew making the Olympic team and to know how long um, a dream that was. And so I think that should be an inspiration to other coaches and clubs that are out there. Um, this doesn't happen overnight. So the transformation that we've talked about um, in the club, your transformation as the head coach and CEO, the transformation of the governance model. Um, you know, I remember that first board meeting that I walked into and I wondered what I got myself into. Um, and the argument over we're spending too much time, too much money and, it's all about the, you know, the elite athletes and we're supposed to be a community club. And, and I remember the moment when we finally embraced and said, you know, we're a community club with a national presence. We expect this to happen. Um, but as you said earlier, you know, put that plan in place, do the strategic plan, but it, it, it doesn't happen overnight. So, you know, perseverance, right? One of the core values of the club. Um, and the opportunity uh, to keep working at it, working at it, and eventually the reward paid off. And so congratulations to Jake and to Drew and their families for being Carmel's first uh, Olympians, and uh, especially to Drew being so close to being on the medal stand. But I think it tells all of us that we have to set goals in life and, and hard work gets rewarded uh, in the end. Yeah, it certainly does, and it just doesn't happen exactly when we want to, but um, I appreciate you coming on, Todd. I think there's a, lo uh, a lot of things to digest here with you. Um, you know, you've been removed, so you have a unique perspective now. And, you know, I know um, we would not be here, the Carmel Swim Club would not be here today without your guidance and your leadership. But I think hopefully we can inspire other clubs and coaches out there to, you know, to take that next step to become a more professional organization. And really, I think to bring swimming as a whole in the United States up a level of professionalism can, can only help uh, our sport and who knows what it, where it leads, but and with that, we get better people. Right. So. Right. So, All well, right. Todd, yep. Yep. Thanks for coming on. And uh, we know, you know, so Jackson, like you said, he's got two more years of baseball at Butler. Is that right? Two more years to go. Yep. Is he uh, still pitching now or is it, where is he, is he playing out? No, right field and first base. First base. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Todd. We appreciate right. it. Take care, coach. We'll see you.